0: morning for those of you who don't know me my name's sarah bagley i'm the associate pastor here at kerry church hello to everyone online i'm assuming there's quite a few of you this morning how awesome is it that we get to meet together today okay the masks are probably a little bit annoying but yeah we get to meet together and uh, i'm so glad that we'll do what we need to do to join together as god's people We continue today in the teaching series called Unexpected Stories. Now last week, Nick Harris shared with us the unexpected story about the woman from Shannon. Now Nick also shared with us how generally stories follow a usual pattern. Now if you take a look at the slide up on the screen, you'll see that generally stories start with the character introductions. And then there are the initial complications, but the problems are overcome and things are good. But then out of nowhere, there is a major challenge or a nightmare scenario. But don't worry, there is a resolution and the characters get a happily ever after. And this is the generic sequence that almost every story uses. But what makes a story stand out is when something unexpected happens. And as a church, what we hope to do over the coming weeks is to journey through some unexpected stories from Scripture. And the unexpected story I want want us to work through today is found in the book of Numbers. And it takes place within a much bigger story that is well-known, by many of you which is seemingly full of many problems and challenges and where we see God bringing a resolution to the problems time and time again but we also see some pretty unexpected twists and turns along the way and so to give you the context to of today's unexpected story we're going to watch a video it goes for about 5 minutes so do your best to listen well and i want you to take particular note of when it starts talking about part five, because it's within this section of the bigger story that we find our unexpected story. So hopefully that will come up. Thanks,
1: Kaylee.
2: The book of Numbers gets overlooked, partly because it has a really boring
1: name. Which is a shame. In the Hebrew tradition, the book's name is Bamidbar, which means in the wilderness. And it's an epic travelogue about Israel's journey through the desert on their way to the land promised to Abraham. Now this pilgrimage should only take about two weeks on foot. But instead, it takes them about 40 years. That's crazy. It's practically half of someone's lifetime. Yeah, it's a very long camping trip with lots of interesting stories. But let's remember, it's most helpful to back up and start with how this book is designed. Right. So the book is broken up into five sections. There are three wilderness locations broken up by two road trips that link all the pieces together. The
2: first wilderness section is Mount Sinai, right here on the map. And then in the second section, they travel to a region called Paran. A whole bunch of things happen here in the wilderness of Paran. And then in
1: this fourth section is Israel's road trip to Moab.
2: The book ends with a large section in the wilderness of Moab, right across the Jordan River from the Promised Land.
1: Now, through all of these sections, the storyline just flows like a gripping dramatic movie. Everything starts great, but then the trip goes horribly wrong, and it all ends with the final redemptive moment, the
2: surprising act of God's grace. So let's jump into the story. It all begins at the wilderness at Mount Sinai. And we've become really familiar with this mountain.
1: Yeah, if you remember, Israel came here after Egypt, and they formed a covenant with God here, got the Ten Commandments here, built the tabernacle here, and they've been at this mountain for one full year. And now they take a census to number the people as they prepare to leave. Right, and they're given these instructions for how to organize all those people in the camp. God's presence in the tabernacle, and then the tribe of Levi and the priests around it, and then the rest of the tribes around them. And this pattern, it's this visual symbol for how God's holiness is at the center of their existence as a people. And they're told that when the cloud of God's presence moves, they're to pack up and travel with it. Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant is carried by the Levites out in front, and then the tribe of Judah, and on and on. And this order is also a symbol for how God's holy presence
2: is their leader and guide through the wilderness. We begin the second section of the book with enthusiasm as they leave Mount Sinai and travel up to Paran. God's with them, everything's organized. This is gonna be great. But it's not great. After just three days on the
1: road, the people are complaining about their hunger and thirst, and then even Moses's brother and
2: sister start badmouthing him in front of all the people. Not a great start. But now we're into the third section, the wilderness of Paran. This is where they send the 12 spies to scout out the Promised Land. Two of those spies come back, and they're really optimistic. But the other ten are freaked
1: out, and they don't trust God, and they go around saying, we're going to get annihilated in there. And so they start a mutiny, and they try to appoint a new leader who's going to take all the people back to Egypt. And so basically, they are refusing to go into the Promised Land, and God honors their choice. He says that this generation is going to wander for 40 years and die in the wilderness and only their kids will get to enter the promised land.
2: You know, this story here gets brought up many times in the Bible by different authors.
1: Yeah, and and it always serves as a reminder that while God remains faithful to his people and his promises, he will honor their choices. He'll, He'll let them waste their whole lives if they choose to live in rebellion. Okay, so the trip's been a disaster so far. And it gets worse here in this fourth section as they're traveling to Moab. Even Moses has a moment of rebellion and is disqualified from entering the promised land. Then there's another rebellion among the people that results in this snake attack. And what makes all these rebellions even worse is that every step of the way, God has been providing. He's been offering forgiveness. He's been giving them food and water and this crazy stuff called manna. Yeah, what is that stuff? Yeah, no no idea. But in spite of all this, they keep complaining. And they say that they wish they had died in slavery in Egypt. If I was God, I would just give up on these guys. You would think. But that's what makes this story in the final section so surprising. Israel has just arrived in Moab. And the king of Moab, he's freaked out that this huge group of people is traveling through his land. So he hires this pagan sorcerer named Balaam to pronounce curses on them.
2: This guy means business.
1: Yeah, and so Balaam, he says, okay, I'm gonna pray to the Hebrew God and let's see what happens. And three different times, he attempts to curse them, but each time he finds that he can utter only blessing. Most surprising is the last blessing, where he prophesies that out of Israel will rise a victorious king. And this king is somehow gonna be connected to God's promise to Abraham to bless all nations through this family. So here's Israel rebelling down in the camp, totally unaware that up in the hills, God is protecting and even blessing them.
2: The book ends here in Moab. Israel's getting ready to go into the promised land. They count up everyone again, just like at the beginning. They're leaving the old generation behind, including Moses. But before
1: they leave Moses, he gives them his last words of warning and wisdom. And that speech is what the next book, Deuteronomy, is all about.
0: Hopefully that video has given you a bit of context for today's unexpected story, which is actually about Balaam. Now we heard just now that Balaam is a seer, he's a prophet who has been hired by the Moab king to curse the Israelites. Now, what is interesting is this is the climactic center of the whole book of Numbers. And strangely, neither Moses or Aaron or any member of Israel plays an active role in it. Instead, the main focus is on this prophet for hire named Balaam. And so we're in part five of the Israelite to Promised Land story. And at this point, Israel has set up camp outside of Moab, which shared a border with the Promised Land. Now, the king of Moab is terrified by Israel's track record. They've broke out of Egypt and they've been steadily conquering cities on the way to his border. And so he hires this prophet named Balaam to curse the Israelites. The king figures if he can't beat them in a physical battle, or well, maybe a spiritual curse will give him the upper hand that he needs to succeed. And so King Balak makes an unwittingly ironic request of Balaam. And he sends word to Balaam saying, A people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed and whoever you curse is cursed now this is crazy ironic because in genesis 12 3 we see that god gave a promise to abraham and his children whoever blesses them will be blessed and whoever curses them will be cursed which means the israelites were blessed and there was absolutely nothing anyone could do to change that and balak the poor misguided king of moab He doesn't understand that. And so he calls upon Balaam thinking that he can curse them. Now what is interesting is Balaam is a pagan. He wasn't an Israelite. But we see in Numbers 22 that that he sought and heard from the Israelite God. And so in verse 8, Balaam is talking to the Moabite officials that brought the word, um, brought the message. And he says, spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you with the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite officials stayed with him. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to the Balak's officials, go back to your own country for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. Now, Balaam seeks Yahweh for guidance he seeks God for guidance and God talks to him and I wonder if King Balak knew that Balaam was talking to the God of the Israelites you know the people he was trying to curse Uh, I'm not sure but the officials go back to Balak and they tell him that Balaam's not going to do it and so Balak sends more officials to ask again this time verse 20 God came to Balaam and said Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Now, you all read what I read, right? God tells Balaam to go with them. Everyone see that? Yeah, right? Take note of that, all right? Hold on to that thought for a second. Now, I'm going to ask Jasmine to come out, and she's going to read the next passage of Scripture for us, and this is our unexpected story today. Thanks, Jasmine. officials and as it turns out every time Balaam tries to curse Israel God puts a word in his mouth that makes it so that Balaam can only bless Israel and never curse them. No matter the king's bribes or the threat of violence Balaam blesses Israel again and again. Now before we go into these blessings there are a few things that need to be addressed from our unexpected story. Now some of these are just stating the obvious Uh, but the first thing that stands out as unexpected to me is that god told balaam to go with the officials with the uh, officials in verse 20 but by verse 22 something must have happened because now god is angry that balaam went did you see that and now i have a, I have a theory on this that we'll talk about in a minute but you have to admit that's pretty unexpected uh secondly balaam beats his donkey three times and from the text we see that if he had a sword he would have killed it now, I think this is somehow related with point one, so, um, and I'll explain that in a bit too, so hold on there. Um, thirdly, and this is where it starts to get a little weird, but God opens the donkey's mouth and it starts talking. It's pretty unexpected, right? I mean, how many of you have had a conversation with a donkey that's spoken back to you recently? Um, not many, I'm hoping, not many, actually. Um, you know outside of Shrek I haven't seen any talking donkeys it doesn't happen very often Uh, also pretty unexpected Balaam just starts talking with the donkey as if that isn't strange at all that the donkey is talking and then the fourth thing there is an angel of the Lord and the talking donkey can see it Um, It appears that before opening the donkey's mouth, God opened the donkey's eyes to see what was in the spiritual. And the fact that the donkey can see the angel of the Lord and the seer, the prophet, can't um, actually says something very profound, but that's for a different sermon. Um, And as we read, God opens Balaam's eyes so he can also see the spiritual too and catch up with what is actually going on. Now, if we're being honest... There's a whole heap of weird stuff happening in this story. Um, And I'm going to offer a couple of thoughts here, but in all honesty, I'm just not that smart to know everything that was going on. Um, Because the truth is, you've read the Bible, you know that weird and unexpected stuff happens and that God doesn't always work and move in ways that make sense to us. Am I right? But what I do know for sure... And this is what I hope you get today, is that there is a lot more going on than what we can see or what we can know or what we can comprehend. I'll say that again. There is more going on than what we can see or know or comprehend. And we see this in our story today, and we see it in a couple of areas. Now, the first observation relates to what's going on with Balaam in the physical. Now, I believe, and I'm I'm sure that you're aware too, that sometimes there is stuff going on on the inside of people even sometimes ourselves that we can't see we don't know and we often can't fully and frustration has anyone ever experienced that before now i can't see your faces so if you've experienced it just feel free to give me a wave yeah there's a few honest people you know either you were on the receiving end of someone else's bad behavior when they were struggling with something or you were the one struggling with something and you took it out on your kids or your spouse or your work colleagues, maybe some poor checkout guy or girl, young people, maybe you took it out on your parents or your friends, maybe you've even taken it out on your own pet. Now in a moment of honesty, anyone who knows me know this is me. You know, I become triggered or anxious or an outcome wasn't what I expected or I don't have clarity on an issue or I'm worried about a circumstance, I've got pressure and deadlines or maybe... I have to do something that I just really don't want to do and I get a bad attitude on the inside and I'm struggling with it internally, whether consciously or unconsciously and the next thing you know, I become mumzilla and I start yelling at my kids or I become the worst backseat driver, Kyle says, amen, or I'm snappy and I'm really critical or however the bad behaviour looks. Anyone else relate to that? yeah, a couple of honest people here this morning. Good on you, mainly women. (laughs) I don't know why that is. Um, I think that's because we're honest. We're honest about it. It's possible that Balaam has a bad attitude on the inside and it's showing on the outside with bad behaviour. It could be that he still has the intentions of trying to curse Israel and Given that he goes down in Israelite history as a bad guy, and we see here that God isn't happy, I think this could be it, but I don't know. But God knows, and God sees what is happening here. And in his holy righteousness, he's not just angry, he's very angry. And I want to say that sometimes there are things going on on the inside of people that we don't always have privy to. And sometimes there is stuff going on inside of ourselves that sometimes um, we're not aware of. And sometimes we are aware of. But sometimes we're not. And God knows. And God sees. And even though we're told that God is very angry at Balaam, we also see that God extends a whole heap of grace when he spares Balaam his life. We see that Balaam repents and God being the gracious God that he is, he extends grace and mercy to Balaam. And I tell you what, I am so thankful that we serve a gracious God, amen. The second observation in our story that shows us there's a lot more going on than what we can see or what we know or what we can comprehend has to do with the angel of the Lord. Now we see here that God enables the spiritual to be encountered by the physical. Now, God opens the eyes of the donkey and then later the eyes of Balaam to see the angel of the Lord. And there is a whole heap that we can't even begin to comprehend here. And we don't have the language to even begin to communicate or understand it. But the best I can, there is a spiritual space, a spiritual realm. There's a spiritual reality that exists that we are given glimpses of through the Bible. Every now and then, God enables the spiritual to be experienced by the physical, like we see in our story. Now, we read about another example in 2 Kings 6. We have the prophet Elisha and his servant. Now, Israel is in the middle of a battle, and Elisha and his servant go outside, and they see that the enemy has surrounded the city with horses and chariots, and it looks like they're in a heap of trouble. And the servant says, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? In verse 16, we read, Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There was stuff going on in the spiritual that the servant wasn't privy to see or know until God enabled the spiritual to be experienced in the physical. God opened the servant's eyes and he saw that God was at work. Now, we also see the spiritual being experienced in the physical when people hear the audible voice of God. When we read about the many encounters that people had with angels. And when God sent his Holy Spirit down on the day of Pentecost and people spoke in tongues. We see this when the resurrected Jesus revealed himself to Mary and the disciples. Now we're told that they didn't always recognize him because there was something different about him. But when Jesus allowed himself to be recognized, they saw him for who he was. The spiritual being experienced by the physical And I'm so limited in my understanding of how this all works. But the point is, there is a lot more going on than what we can see or what we know or what we can comprehend. And even now, in this day and age, every now and then, the spiritual is experienced in the physical. And more often than not, because of our lack of understanding, we can very easily dismiss it as not real, as someone making it up, Um, as it being evil, and we don't allow ourselves to see God and see where he's at work. We can't fit it into our Western thinking, and so we miss it. And Balaam missed what was right in front of him until God opened up his eyes and allowed the spiritual to be experienced in the physical. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss it. I want to see God. I want to see where God is at work. And so it's my prayer that God will open up my eyes so I can see him. Now, I know that one day, because of what Jesus did on the cross for me, I will get to experience the spiritual in the spiritual. But I want to experience the spiritual now in the physical. I almost feel like that Um, from Willy Wonka, the purple chick. I want it now! So I don't want to wait to experience the spiritual in the spiritual. I want to experience the spiritual in the physical now. You know, maybe not the angel of the Lord with a sword ready to kill me because I'm being disobedient. Um, but if that's what it takes to get me to see the error of my ways and repent and get back on the right path with God, then so be it. But maybe I won't be privy to the experiencing, I won't be privy to experiencing um, the spiritual and the physical in the ways I would like. But I want to be open to them. I want to ask God to open my eyes to the things unseen in both the spiritual and the physical. If God is moving, I want to see it. I want to know it. I want to be a part of it. And I want to have the faith and the trust to believe that God is faithful. And he has it all in his hands, even if I can't fully comprehend it. I want to see and experience the spiritual invading the physical. Now, Balaam went on to give three prophetic blessings from God. Now, the first two were restatements of God's promises, that one, Israel Israel will be an uncountable people, and secondly, that Israel will conquer her enemies and inherit the promised land, and we know that to be true. And then the third promise that stands above them all, this promise comes apart from Balaam searching omens and performing other pagan rituals. This one comes when Balaam was filled with the Holy Spirit. He gets a vision of God himself coming down from heaven to make good on his promises and to conquer his enemies. But this vision, he says, is far off. It won't happen immediately. And somehow, this God who comes down won't come from the clouds, but will come from Israel herself. And from this moment, all of Israel's hope is tied up in this God-man who will come from Israel And we know that this deliverer is none other than Jesus. He is the one from the line of Jacob whom Balaam described as a king, calling him a star and a rod. We know that he is talking about Jesus because we have it recorded here for us. But there was a lot more going on than what the Israelites could see or know or comprehend. Now firstly, they had no idea that up in the mountains God was protecting them from the Moabite king... And from his curses, and that actually God was giving blessings instead. They couldn't see that. They didn't know. And then they were given this promise that a Savior was coming, but then they had no idea when it was going to happen, and they ended up having wrong expectations of what that was going to look like. They couldn't comprehend it. But despite that, they held tight to God's promises, and they had hope and trust that what was said would one day come to fruition. And it did, not in the way that they expected, not even when they were alive to see it, but God is faithful to the end. Now, the great news for us is that we know how the story ends. And thankfully, we can experience the, phys- the spiritual and the physical through the resurrected Jesus, even now. Now, when we ask Jesus to be our Lord and our Saviour, he gives us his spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And that spirit invades our physical, and he becomes our helper in the physical, and he becomes our intercessor in the spiritual. And so as we finish up, my prayer is that we would be aware that there is a lot more going on than what we can see, or what we know, or what we can comprehend. And while that's the truth, and maybe it's even a little bit overwhelming know that you are not alone we have god's spirit and god sees and god is at work and god is for us and so my prayer is that may may god open our eyes to the things unseen amen